What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine, which today has looked like Keith and Mike fiddle with the video and audio settings for two hours before they record Deep Space Nine, so I barely even remember that today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 18, Profit and Loss. Mike, how's it going? Keith, it's, well, I mean, that's a loaded question, Keith, because uh, it's, well, we're doing stuff we like doing. It's fun for us. Constantly fiddling, because Keith and I do the show remote, and Mm -hmm. it's always... uh, there's always something fun happening in the uh, all of the middle bibbles and bobbles betwixt, betwixt here and you uh, through the internet. But regardless, Keith, we, it, we're back. I, I, I hate to break the illusion, right? <laughs> but actually, Mike and I are not on the uh, the bridge of the Defiant. No, turns and, out uh, no. We're, we're not sitting behind consoles aimed the wrong direction. Yeah, uh, and so, the uh, the baseball Ben's baseball is not here, and Keith's not drinking. Not actually, a, here. Quark's girlfriend's favorite drink. <laughs> Pepsi Zero. <laughs> no, no. Look in front. Look on your console. You have the, you have the drink. Oh yes, the uh, Flasmobsian sun, sunrise or whatever the yeah. hell it is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Well, we are here. I'm excited to be talking about this episode. We took a week off for the holidays, but now we are back. Uh, going to be really fun, Mike. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we've we've had a we've had a, a lovely holiday season and had a chance to uh, appreciate the people who appreciate us, mm-hmm. Mike. Who's 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 appreciating us, especially this uh, this week? Keith, it's always our patrons. You can join them at Patreon.com/slash K and M. It's Brian Kaufman, it's Casey Clark, it's CloudLover69, it's Jason Moe, it's Andrew Hayes, it's Jorge Navoa, it's Anne, the mysterious. The mysterious. It's Worf and his boot shivs, it's CRM Mm. Productions, it's Charles Babbage, it's at Grimm underscore toys, it's at Delusions at Noon, it's Eric Wilson. You can join them, they get all kinds of fun stuff on the Patreon, they're getting a new AMA, I think tomorrow, if not not Wednesday, uh, which would be the day this airs, so uh, go figure, whatever that means. Time travel. Time travel. But hey, patrons and non-patrons alike, we do other shows on the channel. We look at Keith's Star Trek toys and custom Star Trek toys on the weekly. That drops every Saturday. And then on Mondays, you get a little K&M Geekly, which sometimes is a geeky topic. And sometimes, Keith, is a full-blown therapy session. Uh, it's just guy talk. Guy it's, talk. It's like... It's it's basically like you know one of those like great talks you have in the bar, but we just went weren't getting drunker as we were having it. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I I want to say how how heartfelt so much of the response has been to that latest episode. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate everybody reaching out and, and letting us know that uh, you you listened and that it touched you in a way. So uh, look, we're wishing the best for all of you out there uh, in this new year and for the channel and for to keep growing the channel. So we got to do what we do, Keith, which is discuss, over-discuss mm. every episode of Deep Space Nine. And we've, we've been on vacay and it's time to be back. That is true. So uh, this episode, season two, episode 18, Profit and Loss, aired on March 20th, 1994. Mm. The uh, the top song, and, and this time while I was, you know, I do my research, I do all of my stuff, I, I popped on the top song because I didn't remember it, and then I was like, oh, uh, no offense, uh, not that you need my affirmation because of the mountains of money you made for this, but uh, I'm not a fan of this song. Mike, why don't you sing a little song of The Sign from Ace of Bass? Oh, well, Keith, hold on. I haven't seen it yet. Let me look, look, look. Oh, I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes. I saw the sign. Nothing's gonna spanish me. That was back where you belong. That wasn't good. No. <laughs> but to be fair, no. this time your source material, uh, I, I don't know why I find it so grating. I think it's partly the arrangement. I was like, oh, man, I remember this. And I remember uh, being happy that we're 30 years from uh, that song. Yeah, well. All right. No offense. Ace of Bass, if you're watching and, and you're a fan. I, I firmly apologize, and uh, I, I, I will say I'm wrong, because clearly everyone else liked it. So yeah, it was a big hit. The top movie, ready for this? Mm-hmm. Naked Gun 33 and a third, The Final Insult. All of the Naked Guns run together to me, so that, that doesn't help much. Was that the one with Enrico Palazzo? I have no idea. Yeah, okay. 
Uh, I, I I remember Naked Gun. Like I, you know, it was funny. It was Leslie Nielsen. He's he's fun. But I just remember there were boobs in the opening credits of the first one, and that now that got my attention. Yeah, a credit boob. I like it. I yeah. like a front credit boob, end credit boob, middle boob, side credit boob. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Mike, what was on TV? Yeah. Yeah, what was on TV tonight? Keith, we often, uh, you know, lots of good stuff. Uh, we had the Academy Awards, the 66th annual oh. annual Academy Awards rocking. Uh, Evening Shade was the CBS movie, followed by Sudden Impact. Uh, the Fox, Not Deep Impact. No, the Fox movie special was Model by Day, which couldn't tell you. Uh, Monday Night Movies no. was Bird on a Wire. But Keith, most importantly, we had a special mm. on ABC at 8 p.m. that predated the Academy Awards, which aired at 9. And uh, it is uh, pretty interesting what it was, Keith. I, I, I am with bated breath. The Barbara Walters special. Ah, oh, the Baba Wawa. Uh, About? Was this week, uh, this particular one ha- uh, featured uh, Meg Ryan and Elton John. So... Uh, they were they were talking to Barbara. This is back when she was just like interviewing celebrities on the more on the on the. But we lost good old Barbara Walters this week. Uh, we did um, at the ripe old age of ninety three. She was many things, Keith, uh, but a pioneer in the news broadcasting business. One of the strongest. Fe- she really just led the charge for females, but busting down doors and glass ceilings. So. Uh, I think it's a little bit of synchronicity this week that we got the Barbara Walters special airing on our episode of Deep Space Nine. Indeed. Uh, And uh, just because I looked it up, best picture uh, that night went to uh, Philadelphia. Oh, my God. Streets of Philadelphia. With the uh, Schindler's List was also this year. The original score went to John Williams. Uh, You know, uh, Tom Hanks won. Springsteen won an Oscar for Streets of Philadelphia. Holly Hunter, Anna Paquin. Lots of... Springsteen uh, have an EGOT? Is he EGOT style? Oh, probably. Did he win a Tony for his thing the other year? I th- he won a special Tony, I think, yeah. He could be on that fast train to that EGOT. I I think so. I mean, anything for TV and Emmy. I mean, all he has to do is license a song to something. He'll win it. Yeah. Huh? I don't know. There you go. There's, there's your chance. Bruce, Come if you on. don't have your EGOT yet, we've got a plan for you. Mm-hmm. You need a new manager. Uh, all right. Well, uh, that was great. But let's talk about the uh, the hard news, Mike. Uh, yeah. The hard mm-hmm. news. And uh, this week on the Weekly World News, we found out that a two-headed mom is pregnant. Uh, is the baby too? Apparently- <laughs> It, it appears as though it runs it's not in the, in the headline, yeah. but it does appear as though the the baby is also two headed. Mm-hmm. It runs in the family. I mean, uh, if you if you put your heads together, you can really see the joke there. Mm-hmm. Uh, see what I did? Do I see Beavis and Butthead down there on the on the lower third? Uh, they are. I got to move out of the way. Oh, they they blamed are blamed for a bowling, bowling ball, ball murder. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they were up to no good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the uh, the headline so important they moved the title of the magazine down, so uh, big news, big news. Uh, so keep in mind. I hope they're doing well. Yeah, they're they're probably. I mean, what do they got to be in their? They got to be like thirty now, right? Yes, yeah, more than yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, and so she she had the kid. She's got another baby coming. That's uh, three people, six heads. Keeping, uh, if you're keeping track, if you've got your abacus out there, want to know how many heads and how many people. All right, so a Profit and Loss was directed by Robert Weiner. This is his only episode, uh, Weimer, with an M. Only episode of Deep Space Nine, though he did eight episodes of The Next Generation. It was written by Flip Kolber and Cindy Marcus. Both of them, this is their only trek. Uh, with an uncredited teleplay by Gordon T. Dawson, mm. who wrote this and the episode Shakar coming up in season three. Uh, so, Mike, do you, do you feel like it's time for a, a certain flavor of trivia? Always. Mm. Now, Keith, waste your time with trivial trivia. All right, so this is interesting. Okay. Uh, while they were filming this, 
a 6.7 magnitude earthquake Ooh. hit at 4.31 a.m. 4.31 a.m. And you'd be like, I, I see what you did there. Wait, wait, wait. You have to do that, and then we have to Star Trek. Okay, get ready? Yeah, ready. Oh, oh, oh. oh. That, that was that's really good. Kind of kind of worked. <laughs> it kind of well. I mean, it's exactly what they do on the show, so it works every bit as well as Star Trek did. Uh, so I know what you're thinking, Mike. At 4:31 a.m., there's no way this affected anybody. Oh, they shoot late though. No, they don't shoot late. This was actually the morning for them because Armin Shimmerman and Mary Crosby and other heavy makeup actors were oh. already in the chair getting made up. So, look, you want to play Quark? You want to play this legendary, amazing character, do fantastic work at all those residuals? However, you will not sleep for seven years. Uh which is crazy. And so they ended up driving home in full makeup to go and find out uh what was going on it did delay production for a couple of days uh once they sorted everything out so this episode was originally a direct parallel of casablanca yep, yep. and was titled here's looking at you but it was changed because they were threatened with legal action uh which surprises me a that they would bother to to threaten that right and b um that it would it would they'd be so afraid it would stand up because it's sort of a sci-fi retelling it's a it's you're repurposing uh the, the stuff i don't know if they'd have much of a, a leg to stand on there but who knows they thought not worth it so they made a couple of key changes including the episode title so next up mary crosby who plays uh quark's love interest here is has two really interesting pieces of trivia about her one uh mike do you remember who shot jr yeah the episode the, oh, oh the, like uh, i don't remember specifically who it was but i do remember no, no, the no, whole but arc yeah you remember the, the whole idea it was like this huge you know like the, the first major uh cliffhanger that was a part of all of our sort of pop culture they did an extended uh parody of it on the simpsons um, and uh, anyway, I think young people wouldn't remember any of that. However, guess what? Mary Crosby shot Jr. Oh, well, there you go. And two, Mary Crosby, you'd be like, hey, I know that name. She is indeed Bing Crosby's daughter. Oh, wow. So uh, it's a whole whole family affair going on. Mike, do you have any idea that singing is going to become a big part of Deep Space Nine? Keith, I don't have any inkling of as to where things go. All I know, Dominion bad, Ben Sisko great. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's possible that, you know, later seasons of Deep Space Nine verge on being a musical. Oh, I'm in. You know what? So, we should look, do a podcast about it. We should do a podcast about it. Next up, Odo's pad uh, that he's reading of I, the Jury, is a reuse of the pad that O'Brien was reading to his daughter in If Wishes Were Horses. Uh, you can tell by the little forest image there. And of course, you know, there were no iPads, so they had to build this thing actually, you know, printed out as a as a hard copy thing. So they might as well just reuse it because you can't just, you know, type in something else on the pad. And lastly, in tragic trivia, Edward Wiley, who plays Gol Tehran, who was shot and killed in this episode, himself was shot and killed 19 months later. Thanks. Mike, do you have anything from the compendium? I do, Keith. Actually, they they spend a good portion of this summary talking about the Casablanca and the the earthquake, not surprisingly. But uh, I'm going to read this last little paragraph because it seems to be different. But hold on. Let me bring up the thing that I did. Deep Space did Nine, you do a thing? Star Trek Companion. It's where we get a little more information. Um, okay. Wow. I mean, if you were looking for something to like jam to at, at the club, maybe that's it. <laughs> How many takes were there on those kisses? I wish I could tell you, says Shimmerman. All of them were enjoyable, but I don't remember. I don't remember how many. After each one, we had to have our makeup touched. After each one, we had to have our makeup touched mm -hmm. up. The orange of my makeup mixed with the gray of Mary's makeup, and it wasn't a pretty sight. Makeup artist 
uh, Karen Westerfield was truly miffed at the damage that was being done. One element of the show earned everyone's praise. The return of Andrew Robinson as Garrick. I agree. Each time Garrick showed up, the episodes get wonderful, says Bear. You can get away with wonderful stuff with Garrick. He can contradict himself left and right. Why does he kill Tehran in the episode? He says because he loves uh, Cardassia, but it's probably because he doesn't like Tehran. That's reason enough for Garrick. And have you noticed that Garrick doesn't seem to know the meaning of the word stun? <laughs> when we've seen the man fire a phaser about three times, it's always been set to kill. I like that. He's about, a Cardassian. I like, Cardassians I like that about stun. him. Wolf takes credit for one of the episode's best throwaway details. Odo's choice of reading material, uh, the top of, top of Act 5. Although the copy of Mickey's blah, 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 we know that. You already told us that. Um, Prophet and Loss also notes the first time the name of the Cardassian Central Command, uh, first use of the name of the Cardassian Central Command. According to Wolf, the staff realized that they needed a name for Cardassia's governing, governing body, not only for this script, but for upcoming shows addressing Cardassia's relationship with the Maquis. We always assumed that Cardassia was a military dictatorship, says Wolf. So we went back and forth about what we wanted and finally came up with Central Command. Makes sense. Makes sense. Mike, you don't know what the, what the Maquis is yet, do you? No. But isn't one of the yeah. runabouts the Mackie or something like that? The McKay? <laughs> the Vince Mackie? Yeah. No. Okay. All right. So uh, lastly, what was Next Generation doing this week? Well, let me tell you, Genesis. Another one of those odd season seven episodes where uh, everybody de-evolves. Oh, okay. Have you seen that one, Mike? No, haven't. Yeah. So if you ever wanted to know uh, what everyone looked like completely de-evolved, there's your chance. Okay. Our guest stars this week are the aforementioned Mary Crosby as Natima Lang, Andrew Robinson as Garrick, Michael Riley Burke as Hogue, Heidi Swedberg as Recklin, and Edward Wiley as Turan. So, uh, Mike, sing us in, buddy. Well, Keith, let's do it. Okay, here we are in the screening room for all of your enjoyment. And we begin our teaser. Now, I might have to open that curtain because you yelled at me last time. Yep, yep, yep. There we go. And, uh, uh-oh, a Cardassian ship is limping its way to the station. Mm. Shockingly, it doesn't explode at the last second. And Cisco and O'Brien go to meet them in a giant, awesome set I don't think we've seen yet. No, we have. It's remember when they were all trying to trick them. Uh, we had we were crawling through the aqueducts. It was during the the siege, and we ended up here. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, nonetheless, Keith, I don't the know, fact yeah, that I remember that is is amazing. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Uh, but what a cool set! Amazing. Yeah. I kind of want to make my basement look like that. It kind of already does. My walls are actually that color. You don't quite have the ceiling clearance, but I do. I do not have the ceiling height here in my basement. So, uh, surprisingly, instead of military dudes, it's three civilians, Professor Natima Land and two of her students. They were caught in a meteor storm, and O'Brien agrees to help repair the ship. She's oddly understanding, the Natima is, that Cardassians on a Bajoran station might be a bit of a problem. But we head to Quarks, and Bashir and Garrick, and Garrick's there. And they are discussing Cardassian literature over dinner. The moral of every Cardassian story is that the government was right and be loyal or die. Hmm? Bashir questions Garrick, are you an outcast or a spy? And Garrick says, hey, why not both? But I never said I was either. Great Great Garrick yeah, dialogue. Yeah. He's he's forever awesome. He's so much fun. Look at Morn in the back of the shot there. He just sat there forever. They're going to give me a line this week? No? Okay. <laughs> Never. Ever, ever, ever. Uh, there, There's an entire episode about Morn. Oh, I can't and, wait. Uh, and he doesn't say anything. Yeah. No. It breaks the rules. Yeah, you're right. So uh, later... 
Odo tracks down Quark about a rumor that Quark had tracked down a cloaking device. Mike, you know what a cloaking device is, yeah? Yeah, of course. It's yeah. it's a bit transphobic, but oh wait, no, that's that's Harry Potter cloaking device. Sorry. Right, 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 right. So I was going to say, where the hell are you going with that? <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to give him enough rope. Yeah, just enough. Yep. <laughs> Odo reminds Quark that a cloaking device is illegal, and that if he tries to sell it, he'll be imprisoned. Then, Natima enters, looking all hot, and Quark literally runs up to her, and she slaps him immediately. And we have now met our first ex of Quark. Oh, the first of many, I hope. Well, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. So the episode poses its first question to Mike at this point, where it says, can Quark be a romantic lead of an episode? I guess we'll see. Well, he kind of already was. Yeah. In, uh, yeah. I mean, that was, that was 100% a romance. Okay, can Quark, be, In, uh, can Quark be a steamy sexual lead of an episode? Yeah, well, let's find out. Mm-hmm. Let us indeed. I mean, that's, that's really up to your heart, Mike. Mm-hmm. Let's see. You know, Let's see if Odo can muster a face of raging jealousy. Oh, <laughs> I think he's holding another dick whistle. <laughs> if you're remembering from uh, our last episode of Keith and Mike watch Star Trek toys, whatever the hell they, I don't know what the thing's called. <laughs> just, just move on. <laughs> All right. So Act One begins, and Quark chases Natima and her students down, trying to rekindle their loves. Apparently, she teaches political ethics, and her students are going to change Cardassia forever. Quark gets drinks, and Odo teases him uh, uh, to... Okay, I don't remember what I wrote here. He teases him to activate Exposition Quark. Mm -hmm. Uh, She used to work at the station as a correspondent for Cardassia during the occupation, so she is a journalist. Okay. He makes Natima a Sumerian sunset, which glows when he activates it. Keith, you were drinking one of those earlier. I was. I was indeed. Uh, Cool, you know, simple little effect there, little digital effect. But I thought it's it's very effective. It was ting. It was a nice little sound effect as well. Well done, Uncle Jim. Well, well, yeah, I was uh, over the holidays. I was I was at Jim's house, and we were we were talking. I was telling him a little bit that we're doing a show. And uh, he was like, he just started asking me a couple questions. He has no, he doesn't remember anything. It was, was really funny. Yeah. You Uh, think like any job's really cool. Right. But I try to remember like what I did yesterday at work and it's gone. He was like, he was like, have you ever been to a convention? I've been to like a bunch of them. like, who have you met? And I rattled off all these actors that I met at conventions. Like, oh wait, Worf had a brother. (laughs) He had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway. uh, So, uh, Quark tries to charm her, and it's it's sort of working. Mm-hmm. Then, uh-oh, Garrick shows up and spots her, and everybody freaks out. They're afraid of being spotted by another Cardassian. And and Garrick was very casual about it. Well, you know, he's Garrick. He's, he's got to play it cool. Got to play it cool. So, on ops... O'Brien goes up to Cisco and says, uh, this ship was not in a meteor storm. It was in a fight, in a fight with other Cardassians. So Cisco naturally asks, eh, what's going on here? And Natima shows up and just kind of gives up the ghost immediately. It's Cardassian politics, and she needs to get the heck out of here or else we're going to die, along with the future of Cardassia. So... Uh, clearly, they all have pissed off the Cardassian Central Command. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know if we've learned it by this point, but you start to get the vibes. You're sniffing out that. What I always find cool about the Bajorans is that they had these, like, sort of, they have this rebel group, and then they have, you know, of course, they're, there's even their mm-hmm. own politics are infighting. And so, whereas, for the most part, we've seen the political structure of Cardassians to be just bad bad guys right or antagonistic and, and, and unified and unified it's nice to see that they also have you know political intrigue and espionage taking place well for sure and i think 
I think this is the first Cardassian civilians we've met. Mm. Because, uh, you know, when, when we found the orphan, right, and his father showed up, he was part of the, the government. Right. And and we don't know what Garrick's deal is, but he's clearly has some ties to it. Mm-hmm. These are like the first like civilian civilians on Cardassia that I think we've met. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. So in Act Two, we find out that these students are actually leaders in the Cardassian underground, and that the military government wants to kill them. They mention uh, that Garrick saw us, and Cisco offers them guest quarters. He knows that's, we don't know what that means, but it's probably not good. Quark goes to Garrick's to suss out, hey, uh, what's going on? And they do an extended metaphor using a dress to illustrate. I really like this. I like it a lot. That that Garrick knows exactly what's up and who they are and what their motivations are and what the government's going to feel as well. Uh, yeah, it's it's really fun. It's fun writing. It's fun performance. It's a fun character to like, uh, you know, and we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. Garrick uses the dresses and his shop and his business, whatever. Everything is a metaphor. Everything is is subtext, even though it's very obvious. I mean, they might as well just come out and say it. Um, but I, I like there's there's always a an artifice yeah. to Garrick. 100%. He's always playing a game. He's never just being straight. Um, in in several ways, and that's really fun. Uh, all right, where are we? So Garrick offers some advice. He vaguely threatens Natima and says her friends are going to get her killed. Quark then goes to offer help to Natima. He says he owes her he owes her for lying for him. And she says he was doing a brave thing by selling food to the Bajorans. Uh, so obviously Quark was not supposed to be selling food to the Bajorans during the occupation. So he, it's it's also like it's it's so perfectly Quark because right. it's half heroic, right? He wasn't giving food to the Bajorans. He was selling food to the Bajorans. So, you know, half hero Quark. Uh, but she appreciated it and that's why she protected him and uh turns out they were in love but she says uh he betrayed her because he stole money from cardassia using her name which is not not good it's uh it's it's not cool you probably shouldn't do you do that to your girlfriend especially uh with the cardassian government who's pretty quick with the off with her head kind of a deal uh, however, he regrets betraying her trust, and he wants to follow her anywhere, even though she's part of the Cardassian underground. She continues to resist. Uh, so what do you think of their relationship here? Did you buy it? Were you feeling... Yeah, I actually really enjoyed that uh, she kept trying to hide behind the veil of it was just lust, and he's being a little cocksure of himself and trying to be like a Lothario. But in reality, it seems he, here's what I think. I'm going to just plant the seed here and we'll talk about it more specifically later. Yeah. I, I really believe what Armin Shimmerman pulls off in this episode is nothing short of staggering because he has to, I mean, most literally wear all of this prosthetic, but also he's playing that a sort of, a sort of uh, version of that in theory as well as in his performance because right here he's kind of blustering and he's overselling his love for her to hide the actual vulnerable love he has for her that we see later there's so many layers and for him to be doing it in this sort of grotesque makeup and still let us see behind what he does with his face and with his performance of this episode i really just think is staggering the levels of intimacy and uh, attraction and, and all of the stuff and the way they sell it is really a testament. I think it's the steamiest, most realistic romance we've had on the series thus far. It, it, way more natural and steamy than yep. than uh, Bush, uh, than than Kira, Kira and, and, uh, and what's his nuts Barile, Yeah, uh, yeah, and I, I think there's an interesting parallel here between Quark and Garrick. Right, because there's so many different layers of bluster mm-hmm. and layers of different types of lie, you know. And and Garrick does it through, 
I'm lying with a wink, mm -hmm. so you know that I'm lying. And Quark does it with a lot of bluster. He does it. He does it with a lot of sort of fronting. And, and I, I, I love that Anne pointed this out um, about her, you know it, in the episode where he's like, "Ah, oh, I like those ladies," blah 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 blah. But it's it's all kind of a front. And so he's he's which fronting. actually shows a lot of actual intelligence to Quark because or evolution because we've come to learn. And, and and even and at times we see Quark this way that he's very much that the the Ferengi way is the only way right their their profit loss motivation mm -hmm. is is the prime uh, what do you call it the prime objective at all times but Quark prime has directive. yeah Quark has sort of learned to use that as a veil but actually he's evolved to a point where he kind of goes between those worlds that there are times where his heart and his friendships and whatnot supersede that but he's able to use that belief that it's always about the the the, the bottom line yeah to his advantage if that makes any well, sense it, I, I, no it, I, for sure it does because like the ferengi the ferengi ferenginess of it all they're playing checkers mm -hmm. quark is playing chess by pretending to play checkers yeah right uh, anyway, really interesting. Um, so on ops, O'Brien says, you know, ship's ready to go. But then, uh-oh, what shows up but a Cardassian uh, attack ship about to attack. And they're about to open fire on the station. And then, uh, hey, the simple Taylor Garrick just shows up on ops and says, I think we should talk. Someone ne really needs to fix that doorbell. Really? Q Cisco side-eye. Uh, look at that. <laughs> I mean, so much face. I mean, the expression, the facial expressions on these screenshots are amazing. So in Act 3, Garrick says that Latima's students aren't students at all. They're terrorists. And that Cardassia wants to keep this internal. Uh, also, eh, unrelated to any of this, what's going on with Cisco's uniform here? There's a seam much further down the right shoulder than the left. Uh, go to like the uh, one of these shots. I think I think earlier it's it's very. I I think literally yeah right here. Oh yeah. See the seam going down one side, but not the. I think it's partly lighting. I think partly he just needs to adjust his uniform. But it, I was really I don't know fixated on that. I don't know why. I'm just weird. Uh, so Garrick pretends. No no no. I, I'm just a tailor. Continuing, but uh, we all know what's gonna, what's happening here. So Cisco is not going to give up any political refugees, and if they try to force it, he will respond in kind. Uh, then Garrick decides to counter with offering Cisco a suit. We head to Quark's, and he brings the students Kanar, but they won't talk to him because Natima said so. But Quark dangles the idea that he can get them off the station safely. Quark goes around checking if the uh, the mug or a bowl is Odo, smartly. <laughs> That's awesome. And offers, uh, although how would he tell? How would he tell? I mean, there's so many questions about like Odo's mass. He, you know, he like, knows the taste and the smell. Okay. He, he's just going around licking everything. Mmm, Odo? Well, fair enough. Gross. Uh, anyway... He offers them his cloaking device if they can convince Natima to stay with him. Quark then goes to talk to her, and she says, I'm not staying. She says, And you, she doesn't, and you, and you, you're, you're gonna, gonna love me. Yeah. Uh, well, she says, uh, I don't love you anymore. But he thinks she still does. Then uh, she pulls a phaser on him and shoots him. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, cool looking phaser. She done shoots him. And uh, that is our... <laughs> wow. Wait a minute. Okay, so I don't think I saw this the first time. Go, go back one. All right, so there he's standing. You see the angle the phaser uh -huh. is aimed at. Now go... So... <laughs> So she shoots him, and he flies off to the side. It's a bad edit. That is for damn sure. That was re And then somehow ridiculous. ends up there. His butt, right. you can see his head is towards the front of the bed, 
Right. So he'd either go over the bed. But ass over tits. He must have done so a full revolution. Yeah. Go, go back one because you can see where the, the blanket is on the bed. Okay. Yeah. So that the geography of this makes no sense whatsoever. No. But it was still funny. Anyway. So we uh, in Act 4, we find out, oh, uh, apparently it was a mistake. Or at least she says it was a mistake. I believe her. She's I didn't. She had it set right, but she didn't. She never shot a fire. She loves them. They lay make out. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except, except, uh, kids. If you have access, go back and watch the transition from Act Three to Act Four. Meaning the the commercial break transition. They definitely set it up like she shot him, and that's the this big twist. Well, for sure, because because if you watch, there's a soap opera fade out she shoots him she's like bitch she's and then stands there in the commercial back up it was a mistake i didn't mean it It, if she shot him by mistake she stood there and like looked at the body for a very long time without making any sort of uh it's a soap opera thing uh anyway quark's fine it was on stun he's good and uh, now she says she's sorry, and she does love him. Cue the kissing and endless makeup touch-ups. But she's torn because the movement is her life now. But they do take some time to reminisce about their long-lost love. Then she does agree to stay. But then, naturally, of course, Odo shows up, and she's under arrest. But Odo obviously feels bad about it. So there's lots of uh, Ferengi Cardassian love. Just, I took a lot of screenshots. I did because I thought it was really beautiful, but also like visually beautiful, like the, all the makeup work and the close. It just looks great. Well, it's 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 really cool, and I, I think the the makeup director talked about it. Like in this scene here, we really forget about the makeup, mm-hmm. which is w- what makes it good, and and it's also the performances here because you really were. It, I, I I forgot watching it. That there was all this ridiculous makeup happening. Mm-hmm. And just how ridiculous uh, shooting it in that tight must have felt and been. But it just really... Oh, God. It was all felt very organic. And like I said, you see the vulnerability between two people who have been pretending not to dig each other when in reality they both knew how they feel. And now we get to see how they feel. It's great. Oh, God. And good performances. Yeah. And Keith, you so, don't usually uh, like the mushy stuff. I don't... Well, I don't like it if it's not earned. No, mm-hmm. oh, you're right. You know, I, if it's if it's earned and the performances are good and the writing is good, then I'm, I'm on board. I don't hate it. So uh, later, Cisco meets up with Natima and her students in the brig and explains that Cardassia has offered to exchange six Bajoran prisoners for her and that the Bajoran government agreed to it. A uh, couple of questions here. Didn't we learn earlier that Cardassia had supposedly released all of their prisoners, and that when and that we when we found when we did the rescue, it was supposed to be like this big, yeah. like we caught you. Yeah. Although I I would assume I guess in this case that they were prisoners unrelated to the war. Different, right? Like pr- prisoners of war versus just like prisoners of terrorists right. or whatnot. Yeah, though that's pretty murky, especially this soon after the occupation, mm-hmm. but whatever. So, uh, and the board, uh, Bajoran uh, government agreed to it. Perhaps, Mike, they should just execute them by stamp. Do you want to know why I say that? Why? Because uh, Heidi Swedberg, here in the red, played Susan on Seinfeld. Oh my god, yeah. Yes. Interesting. Who was killed off with a postage stamp. Deep cat deep cut, Keith. Seinfeld no, Deep Space Nine is the deep cut. Yeah, Seinfeld right. is not you're a right. deep cut. Uh anyway, interesting uh you know, that you you're you're an actor, you do some interesting characters. Cisco doesn't agree with this exchange, but has no choice but to obey because they don't have jurisdiction. This is a Bajoran Cardassian issue. Uh, actually, it, those two screenshots you see back there, the force field on, force field off. So simple an effect, right? Mm-hmm. You just turn the lights on, turn the lights off, and we buy that there's a force field between them. 
It's pretty cool. So uh, then a Cardassian named Gal Turan goes to meet Garrick in his shop. They clearly hate each other. We also learn that Garrick informed the Cardassian government and proposed the exchange. This whole thing is happening. It's, it's all Garrick's idea. He made all of this happen. Turan offers Garrick a chance to return home in exchange for killing Natima and her students. Uh, this way, the Cardassian government gets rid of these people without getting egg on their face. But we learn here that Garrick can't go home. So he is in exile in some fashion, uh, which is interesting. Did you, you kept looking like you wanted to say something about that. No, I was that. just like intrigued by that. I, I'm, I'm piecing through Garrick's plot here and mm -hmm. motivations in my head, but but I figure we'll talk about it later. Yeah, well, let, let's keep dissecting because it's, it's interesting and complex and it's still a little bit vague. Uh, but like so talking Garrick, about chess, like he, I don't think he was improvising. Garrick doesn't seem like the improvisational type. It seems like he was premeditating all of this. Like expected. I don't know if he expected this guy's visit though. But I imagine. Yeah, I mean I, that's the part we'll be interesting to piece together because none of this happens if Garrick doesn't go to the government and say they're here. Right. So he must have been right. trying to curry favor, but at the same time, was, why? If because at the end you're like, oh well, maybe he's part of the resistance. I love Cardassian. I, I, you know, I want to help these rebels out. But at the same time, at that, at that, if that's the case, you wouldn't. If you really wanted to help him out, he wouldn't have said anything. Right. So is he trying to curry? Maybe he's he's doing a quark here, and he's trying to play all sides. Yes, which I think is all like if you're if you're dealing with Garrick, that's your best bet always. The, the, I, I have I have a I have a theory I, as I to I do too, what... and I'll plant it here. But the pro the, the my theory hinges on, and there's no scene to indicate that Garrick knows this dude's going to show up. Because if if he knows this dude is going to show up, then the plan is perfect. I sell out the rebels, currying mm -hmm. favor to the government, and making myself and and removing any suspicion of me as a double agent because I I gave them up. Then, right. if this guy, I know he's going to come in and ask me to assassinate them. I know that he will not have talked about it with the high government because he just wants me to do his dirty work. I then aid them in escape, kill him with a vaporizer, I guess, so that it can it it could be sold as if he, this guy Tolan, helped them escape, removing any suspicion from Garrick. So we, all things are achieved. But if he doesn't know he's going to show up, that plan then seems less likely. Well, I, I think you could – all right, so let, let's just get into it. Let's just talk about it because I, I think what what Garrick's motivation might be I think is, is, is what you said but just a little simpler. Okay. Right? I want to make the government think I'm back on their side, so I give them this information. But I'm also on their side, so I'm going to make sure they get away. So, so I'm going, and, and so whether a guy shows up or he doesn't show up, whether somebody that I know, whether somebody I don't know, I'm going to somehow make sure they get away and build trust with the government by writing them out. Yeah. I mean, and, I like that. The only thing that then becomes cloudy in that scenario is even if he knows that guy is, is eavesdropping in that final scene where he's waiting to like fake kill them. Why do all the monologuing? Why not just like? Well, because he I don't to, think he wants pull him out. He's trying to pull Tolan out. Possibly pull them out. Possibly uh, find a way to do it without letting Natima and her folks know that he's helping them. Uh. So he he might have had a different. He might have had a couple of different plans, and you know his. I think Garrick thinks his best position is that nobody yeah, knows think, what side he's on. I think that's pretty astute, actually. Um, so I bet it was something like that. Uh, anyway, so Garrick tells uh, Taran, I don't think it's a good idea for me to kill them because it will make them martyrs. And we leave the act not knowing what he's going to do. So we go to Act 5, and Quark goes to Odo's office for help. Mm. He wants Odo to let Natima and her students go. And Odo knows it's not about helping Cardassia. It's about the fact that he's in love. And to Quark's credit, he's like, yup. 
I don't give a crap about the politics. I, I want my girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he says to Odo, you'll never understand because you have the emotions of a stone. Quark asks Odo to do it for him. Do it for me because we're best friends. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, which, uh, I, which I think is, is very interesting. He's sort of like, you know, says the unspoken part. He really, like, this is a real ask for Quark because mm-hmm. he admits that. Um, also, I want Odo's chair. It looks comfortable. Yeah. Quark gets on his knees and begs. And Odo agrees. But only because they will be executed. And that's not just. Um, interesting for Odo to make this decision. Right? Yeah. I'm su- I, I was actually surprised when Odo agreed to this. I think Odo had already made a decision prior to this. I think he was oh, playing yeah, Quark it, as much. But yes, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I just I'm I'm surprised he would inject his own feelings into the situation. Which I mean, he's right, mm-hmm. and like it clearly offends his sense of justice, which is why he's doing it. Um, but it's an in- interesting position for Quark. It, it shows more flexibility. I mean, for Odo, it fl- shows more flexibility than we're used to seeing. Right, but we have seen, I will say it is consistent, because we have seen growth, a loosening of his rigid just mm-hmm. de- definition of justice into a more nebulous gray area, which I have appreciated. So it is on track. Well, it's his sense of justice overriding the rules right. more often, where it used to be he followed the rules, now he follows justice. Yep. And those are sometimes competing masters. Quark is thrilled because... It's if he's doing it for justice, it's not a favor, and I you don't owe me, or I don't owe you shit. <laughs> and he hugs Odo. Odo asks, "How are they going to get away?" And Quark admits he has a cloaking device, <laughs> of course. Uh, also, if you go back one, we get some really interesting images on Odo's security cameras, mm. uh, and you see in the shot behind them, it sort of r- flips through. Uh, some of the security cameras, which all of all of which appear to be external. Yeah, and those uh, back there. Shot. It looks like we got. Uh, it's all kinds of whatever the graphics department really nails it all the time. That that's that's the uh, the top ten wanted list. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if based on star. So so it, we're seeing the security scroll going here. It's all external shots of the ship. So I or the station. I bet the Federation has a no internal security camera just running on a loop, you know, just they must have different surveillance rules um, because they've learned from the uh, surveillance nightmare. We all live in, in real life today. Uh, so Quark and Odo release the force fields and release Natima and her students. And Odo wishes them luck. They head to the docking ring when Quark and when Quark opens an airlock, of course, there is Garrick with a phaser. The hell is that? <laughs> I don't know. It's spam, guys. I'm getting spammed. It's probably Quark. Uh, so he says, Quark, uh, Garrick says, I'm getting tired of being an exile. And I live by the motto, never let sentiment get in the way of your work. Quark can then tell that Garrick doesn't agree with the central command's orders. But before Garrick can respond, this is when Gull Terrell shows up with a phaser on Garrick, wanting to know where he stands. We have so we have our standoff here. We've got phasers going in every direction, and uh, Terrell is going to kill them. But then, surprisingly, Garrick shoots and kills him. And of course, when you, Garrick, when you when you fire your phaser on kill, is it always a vaporizing thing? I think those. That's it's not not always. I, I think certain certain phasers and disruptors, especially non Federation ones, have super, uh, like are super strong. I know that the the Romulans and the Klingons and Cardassians would have a like vaporized setting. Uh, just gotta be pretty powerful. Let's be honest. Uh, but anyway, so I, I think I didn't write it down, but he takes Garrick's phaser away from him. And Garrick, of course, has a second phaser because he's Garrick. He knows what's what. And uh, Garrick decides to let them get away. And Quark is grateful. 
Quark and Natima kiss again, but of course, she's got to go with her students, and that she'll come back when Cardassia is free and democratic. She says she loves him and leaves. Garrick asks Quark, why did you let her go? And he says, because I love her. Quark then asks Garrix why he shot Turan. And he says, because I love Cardassia. And that is the end of our episode, uh, leaving me with the question, what is Cisco going to do about all of this? Oof. Because, uh, like, that kind of doesn't get wrapped up, because I feel like Cisco might have some thoughts about all of this international diplomacy and murder. Yeah, he that really didn't get to be a part of a lot of that. I mean, part of it is because, you know, the Federation is, tries to stay neutral and tries to stay out of it. Uh but, uh, yeah, I feel like he might have some questions for all of everybody on how that all shook out. But maybe he'd be like, I don't want to know. Yeah. All right. So uh, that is our episode. Now it's time for everybody's favorite vocab quiz. Uh, yeah, I have to remember where it is. Where is it, Mike? And now there it's time go. for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek vocabulary quiz. All right, part of this is going to have to be speculation, but Mike, what is the Cardassian underground? Where'd I go? I don't know where you went. Ah, there there you go. Um, you were underground. Uh, Keith, I guess that's the sort of the rebels uh, that are trying to change the political discourse of Cardassia uh, from the inside. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, and this one, eh, what is Kanar? Oh, crap. I forget. Canar is what Quark tried to serve oh, right. the students. It is an alcoholic Cardassian beverage. Canar. Mm. We're going to see more of that later. Okay. But before we do, uh, we need to uh, come along home. Let's do it. All right, here we are at the Brokenhearted Quarks to discuss profit and loss. Then we will begin, as we always do, with wormholes in the plot. Mike, did you find any wormholes in this plot? I didn't have many, to be honest with you. I I, I think the machinations of everybody's um, motivations is more my questions, but we've kind of pieced through a lot of that. Um yeah, I I guess once again, there's sort of like a with all this political stuff happening, you'd think that Ben and Starfleet and Odo would have more of kind of like a finger on the pulse of what's happening. And it's funny too, I guess and this isn't a wormhole, but I I, I recognized it this time as for as much as Ben's in control he can't, it doesn't seem as though he can truly override what the Bajorans want to happen to a lot of stuff. No. It's because it's a Bajoran station. So it's a, it's a unique position for a captain to be in, or a general Star Trek lead to be in, because usually they're the, the last word. Like Picard makes the decision, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. interesting. Well, I, I, it's, I think part of it is because, you know, Picard makes the last decision to the to a point, but the Federation makes the final decision on the ship in, in that world. But here we're on a Bajoran station. So yeah. the Federation even doesn't make these final decisions. You know, they, they're an embassy, yeah. right? So you're, you have control over the people in your embassy, but you don't have control over the, the country around you. Mm -hmm. And that really does, you're right. It puts, puts them in a very difficult position so that all of the decisions that Cisco makes if they are not directly over Federation matters, are, are they're political. Right. They're sort of under the, you know, with the, you know, agreement of the Bajorans. Um, so, yes. I, I think for me, it's not a wormhole in the plot. It's just the dynamic between the, the students, the, the underground leaders, and the team was strange. Because if they're the, the leaders, and they're the ones they have to save and rescue, 
didn't really seem like leaders. They didn't really talk. They didn't really do anything. They just sort of like sat around quietly and did whatever she said. So I'm like, I'm not quite sure why, why isn't she the leader? Why are they the leaders? What are they doing? Were they pretending to be really, you know, sort of beta right? because they were staying undercover or were they fiery leaders who had, you know, I, I don't, it was unclear what they were going to do. Why were we trying to save them? They didn't seem particularly special. Um, but I'm guessing it's because they were trying to keep a low profile. Yeah, it wasn't. The, the dynamic and even, like, what they were trying to achieve, like, them in the grand political scheme. Like, But that wasn't really what this was about, so. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't that. I, I would just like, would have liked to have seen something from them that lead that led me to believe that they – were or at least capable of being these rousing threats to Cardassia. They didn't seem particularly threatening to Cardassia to me. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think that's. I think that was just. That's not the story we were telling. Mm-hmm. More than a particular wormhole. Mike, what was our best moment? There's a lot of great stuff. I love every time <laughs> Garrick is on screen or opens his mouth. I think that I want to say mm-hmm. that right up front. But that's not the scene for me this episode. I thought I was actually going to say every romance theme, scene with Quark and Fatima because it was great. But I'm not going to say that either. For me, mm. best scene in this episode was the scene with Quark and Odo. Because yeah. they each are playing at subterfuge. But at the same time, it's the most authentic we've ever seen Quark. Uh, both mm-hmm. times. I really think when he says he's in love and admits to it, the anger he shows towards Odo is as raw as we've seen him, right? When he kind of flips out at Odo being like, you're just a stone, you don't understand romance. But then he feels bad and he admits to the love bit and he shows complete vulnerability. Then he gets on his knees and begs and that's, he's, we've seen him do that before in Alamoremi episode, but this right. time it he seemed for real. But then the second that he realized that he didn't, he could get what he wanted and not have to wager anything, he goes right back to old Quark. So we get right. to see, we got to see like the whole rainbow of Quark uh, in like, and in a very brief scene, see just how great sh- we just saw how great Shimmerman is in this episode. Yeah, I think it's his finest hour. And Odo, we got to see him. I-, I don't know. We got to see a lot of vulnerability from him in that scene too, and just a lot of different colors in a different way. It just, it just, it just checked a lot of boxes for me. So that's that's my best moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so too. I'm just gonna pick the the scene with Garrick and Quark, mm-hmm. but sort of for the same reason. I, I. Looking at this episode, as we go into the the, the our, our stem bolts here, every this episode is a series of waltzes. It's a series of dances, mm. and we have these scenes. It's Quark and Natima, and you have multiple layers of things happening there. Um, we've are we frozen on your side? Are you still there? I am. Uh, it's you're back. Oh, you're coming. Back. I'm back. Why are you dying? Hooray for me! I'll come back. Am I back? I'm not back. Is my OBS? What's happening here? No, I don't think it's OBS. Oh, it could be. Oh, yeah. No, it totally is. Hold on. There I am. Oh, I was I was for a second. What's happening? Oh, oh. We're going to get you back because I don't want to. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. All right. So uh, I was saying that little dances little waltzes you have quark and natima you have you have multiple layers of communication happening multiple layers of lying and truth and honesty and they're sort of you know like a tit for tat da, 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 da. then you have you have quark and garrick same thing we're talking about a dress but it's not a dress we're talking about this it's a it's a dance it's a waltz you have the same thing happening with quark and odo it's a little dance where i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna go here and i'm gonna step back and go here i'm gonna step back and be vulnerable gonna not gonna be whatever and and even and even garrick and uh and Turan. Mm-hmm. same thing going on there no one is speaking directly about anything it's all these little dances, all these little little mambas we're doing with each of these characters, and I think it makes it very interesting. Um, and it's the same dynamic played out over a whole bunch of different relationships, um, and I really like that about that. Okay, well, Keith, yeah. why don't you? Uh, I guess I'll, I'll go. Um, yeah, you, you got to follow the rules, buddy. Right. Yeah, so I have to separate this because. Like I said, I was just mesmerized by everything Shimmerman does in this episode. He's sort of 
plays um, the romantic lead, the sex lead, the adventure lead. He's sort of swashbuckling in this episode a little bit. He's got a little Indiana hmm. Jones to him. Uh, right. All the Garrick stuff. Like the plot, I, I think it actually ends up being more interesting in theory than it is in practice. Like there aren't mm-hmm. actually huge stakes at play. Like, I mean, obviously their lives are at danger at some point, but like we don't even know what what they're really doing. Like it but but I loved it and I think I, I loved it mostly because, you know, we've talked about some really deep idea episodes and some ones that moved us emotionally. And I I, I did my heart wasn't breaking for them at the end. Like it wasn't like a romance that right. I was that, that kind of invested in. I really right. feel like I was just I knew Shimmerman was good, but he was great in this episode because he had to do all different kinds of stuff. He had to play like six different uh, yeah. um, stock characters, right? And Well, it's so many layers of artifice. Like he's he's an onion. Yes, in that respect, yes. But also then like – but then he was also like all the, the sexual stuff that usually they kind of play as a jokey joke with him, you know? He got to do for real here and with a lot of real passion and – real intention same with the romance the same with the friendship stuff with odo like there's you could see the chemistry between them like he just can have chemistry with anybody behind layers and layers of crap like actual physical so many layers yeah and i think i'm just so bowled over by that that it's hard for me to adjudicate Uh, you know the plot was was it was an interesting kind of adventure tale I thought the resolution was pretty interesting. I thought all of the back and forth, the Tinker Tailor spy type stuff was cool. The Garrick stuff was cool. We got a lot of backstory on him. So I think as a episode that's moving the lore ahead, it sets up mm-hmm. a lot of cool pieces for new stuff to happen. Uh, it feels like a character episode because we didn't really need or see Ben in any way or Kira or literally anybody else, really. Yeah. You know, O'Brien, those guys kind of, but not really. So it's it definitely feels more like a bottle episode in that in that respect. But I didn't hate it. I really liked it, I think. So I'm going to say, I'm going to give it like a 7.25. 72. <laughs> I'll get that one day. <laughs> You're never going to no, remember. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I liked the episode. I thought, I mean, it's certainly better than some of them we've had this season. Um and I, th- I think you're exactly right. It's important for building the lore mm-hmm. to know that there's a Cardassian resistance going on. Um, that's important to, um, you know, I think it's, we're seeing, we're starting to unravel the onion of Garrick mm-hmm. a little bit more. And um, we know that, you know, I believed him. When he said, my motivations are I love Cardassia. Now that doesn't, now that means Garrick is going to do what he thinks is in the best interest of Cardassia. We don't know what that is, mm-hmm. but I think I certainly bought that he is, he is going to work for the, in service of what he thinks is best for Cardassia. And that's not necessarily going to agree with anybody else's uh, version of that. Um, but it, it adds a layer of uh, patriotism to Garrick, which is interesting. Um, uh, but we still don't really know, you know, right. good guy, bad guy, who knows? <laughs> what, you know, what sort of what is his, uh, what is his uh, D&D alignment? Yeah, and it's an achievement to to both learn about him but still continue that obfuscation that's that's tough writing and they i think they did a pretty good job yeah uh great performances i um great makeup work because i think that you know that they needed to make a cardassian character and makeup needed to make her attractive mm-hmm. right to to have a hot cardassian in order for us to sort of buy this, yeah. and they did, hundred percent, and you know, hats off uh, on that. So, um, yeah, I think uh, it's good. I think it's a good episode. I think there's some good good nuggets here. Um, but you're right; the the actual story of it was less interesting than the characterization. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, uh, but I liked it. I liked it. So I'm going to give it eighty. Okay. Self-sealing stem bolts, a solid, solid but not spectacular episode. Uh, All right. So uh, that is Profit and Loss. Next week, 
Next week, folks, we are doing Blood Oath. So that is going to be fun. We will see you back here next week with that. Uh, check out K&M Geekly, where we just talk about stuff. Uh, check out Look at My Star Trek Toys, where I show off more amazing custom figures this week and then coming up after that we've got some more from dasbot toys which is going to be super super fun give us a like give us a subscribe you can join our patreon at patreon.com slash k and m spell out that and uh and if you're listening to this in the podcast uh in the podcast world the audio version uh do us a huge favor leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting service you're listening to that really helps more people find us uh and they don't even have to look at us so i mean that's a win-win so uh any final thoughts mike no man i'm excited about next week thanks everybody for uh tuning in and we we appreciate y'all all right till then this has been keith and mike watch deep space nine thank you for watching k&m entertainment if you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense please like and subscribe or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash K&M.